having a beer after a hard day's work once meant putting up with a six o'clock swill. The swill is not only unpleasant, it's also dangerous. Those who like beer, and surprisingly it's still legal to like it. South Australia joins all other states in abandoning the six o'clock swill. Yeah, welcome to the six o'clock swill. Big news, it's the permacrisis. We're in the permacrisis. Everything from... We started with drought, we then went to COVID, we now come out of COVID, we're in floods, and not only floods, but a full-scale world war perhaps, in, uh, in, in the making. With, with me, as usual, is Tim Blair from the Central Coast. And look, I, I can hardly believe this. I have a, Tim, you won't believe this either. There's a real, live Western Australian right here with me in the Six O'Clock Swirl studio. Man, that's, that's huge news. Caroline de Russo. I could almost reach out and touch her. It's just incredible, but I won't because... <laughs> She's contaminated. I have my own permacrisis, but it's not really a perm, it's just the humidity. <laughs> so, but, I am, but I am, in fact, here in Sydney. This is the truth. Yeah. I have defected for the week, and um, I am very excited to be with, you know... The less what sort of punishments do you face upon your return, Carolyn? I'm not sure. Look, there, I'm sure there's a gulag somewhere that I've paid for uh, through my taxes, but yeah, I don't know about. And I'll it's be called sent Perth. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> 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 I can't even deal with that one. I'm just going to let that one go. Gulag. That was another Russian innovation, wasn't it? The gulag. That was. That was Vladimir Lenin's time, I think. But mm-hmm. look, um, somebody's got to do something about the other Vladimir, Vladimir Putin. Somebody has got. Uh, look, uh, this is Jim Molins earlier in the week. My fear is that unless someone kills Putin, unless someone assassinates Putin and stops the whole thing, what we're going to see now is surrounding those, the, the particularly Kiev, stopping all the stuff going in, demoralising the fighters in there and attacking in there at the same time using brutal, brutal strength. You know, someone's got to take Putin out and stop this idiocy as soon as possible. Jim, thanks so much for joining us. Well, Jim will be joining us later on in the show, and we can ask him, was, that, was he putting his hand up the volunteer there? He'd be damn good at it. I think he's one of the top military people we have. Um, <laughs> Tim... Um, he would. Because, once again, um, I mean, we had Biden's State of the Union speech this week. Um, are we seeing any sort of more tough talk from, uh, from the United States? I mean, something that might actually uh, stop this idiot in his tracks. The U.S. have a huge weapon that they can deploy at any time, which is um, opening up their oil and gas lines. Mm. You know, going going huge on uh, on uh, on the economic front. Instead, they're continuing to import Russian oil, about twenty million bucks worth a week or some number I've been looking at, and that goes directly to Putin to fund the war. In the meantime, they're talking about you know sanctions here or there, little sort of things, and uh, they're not making a huge amount of difference. But if you really wanted to hit Putin where it hurts, you'd, um, you'd become energy secure yourselves and cut off his, uh, his tunnel of money. It's, it's insanity. Yeah, we, we had a very useful uh, explainer. I think they call that them explainers, don't they, what they put in newspapers these days to explain things to you. We had a useful explainer from Kamala Harris who explains Russia-Ukraine. Break it down in layman's terms for people who don't understand what's going on and how can this directly affect the people of the United States. So Ukraine is a country in Europe. It exists 
next to another country called Russia. Russia is a bigger country. Russia is a powerful country. Russia decided to invade a smaller country called Ukraine. So basically that's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Is this like year two geography? She was asked to give a layman's sort of explanation. How stupid does she think the average layman is? How, How dumb does she think a normal person is that she has to dumb it down that much? It also sounded a lot like a concussed footballer trying to explain to the doctor, you know, that he's he's in control of basic um, uh, facts and he's he's okay to return to the field. Like, you know, uh, generally when you when you get badly concussed or they suspect you're badly concussed on a sporting field, they'll ask you questions that are really basic <laughs> and simple, like who is the prime minister? How old are you? And and Kamala's response would be. The Prime Minister of Australia is Scott Morrison. He's in Canberra. Which is a city in a country. Yeah, it's a city in a, in a territory in a country called Australia. And then she'll cackle. I can't do the cackle because it damages, damages normal people's throats. I know, it's terrifying. She's, she's the Vice President of the United States and that's, that's her level of comprehension of events. And, um, and now they're talking about possibly sending her... Uh, on some sort of global diplomatic mission to get things all sorted out? I don't think so. Well, she's a vice president, and the president doesn't seem any more certain either. Let's have a listen to this uh, brief extract from the State of the Union address. Putin may circle Kiev with tanks, but he'll never gain the hearts and souls of the Iranian people. Yeah, hey, pull me up a bit, Tim. I mean, are, are we at war with the Iranians still, or I don't know? Or is it actually the Ukrainians? I don't know. Where are we up to? That that did come out of nowhere, didn't it, Carolyn? What uh, what was your reaction to that speech and how um, how bewildered he seemed at times? Which speech? State of the Union. Mm. Yeah, I saw about. Uh, yeah, yeah. Good point. <laughs> Any speech, <laughs> really. Yeah, I saw about three minutes and switched it off and thought I've got a load of washing to hang up. And so I went and hung up my washing, and I think I got more out of hanging out my washing and listening to um, the kids playing the pool next door than I would have got out of the State of Union address. So I just didn't even bother. Frankly. It is curiously rewarding to watch the whole thing because um, Biden kicked off fairly lucidly. But whatever tablets they've got him jazzed on <laughs> don't have a long half-life. Yeah, they wear off quickly. Yeah, and, and if you're watching it just non-stop, you don't get a full sense of it. But if you jump forward in 30-minute increments, he becomes less and less steady, less and less sure, more stumbles, more errors creep in. And by the end, he's um, he's sort of just freeform ad libbing, and uh, I think he, I think his um his final line was ad libbed when for some reason he just shouted into the microphone, "Go get him!" <laughs> Leading the world to ask who <laughs> he hadn't been talking about a specific person until that point, and then suddenly there's this mysterious him who must be got. We must we must ask Jim about this this him. He might know who we him should. is and what must be done about him. And how we will do it. But look, let's look, let's look the optimistic note. This time last week, it seemed like Europe and the United States was doing one-tenth of nothing. Mm. Now things are happening, right? So Russia has been banned from the Soccer World Cup. I mean, it's not exactly the landing of the beaches of Normandy on D-Day, but, you know, if you're going to fight against tyranny, you've got to start somewhere. Um what about the other measures? Uh, what else has been happening? Well, we've taken them out of Swift. No vodka. No vodka. Poured Is that, that right? I've got a handy little list. Oh. Compiled by Noah Rothman of Commentary.org. This is a terrific, uh, very informative piece. 
So they're not cutting off, you know, Russian money. They're still buying Russian oil. Because <laughs> that would be useful. Yeah, various bodies and groups around the world have taken serious action that will give Putin pause before he continues this mad escapade. Uh, Russian athletes have been banned, as you mentioned, uh, Nick, from participating in international ice skating, skiing, basketball and tennis events and soccer. Uh, They've been banned from the Winter Paralympics. Take that, you cripples! (laughs) That'll learn Putin to mess around with Ukraine. Uh, museums are halting collaborations with their Russian counterparts, writes uh, Rothman. And the, this, is, this is the killer blow. The International Cat Federation has banned Russian felines from presenting themselves in, the, in the cat judging events. No, my so. favourite is Pornhub. Pornhub has, if you are located in Russia, you are switched off. And you can, when you type in the, the Pornhub <laughs> website, it shows the Ukrainian flag. I thought it all came from the Ukraine. I haven't personally so checked. I haven't personally checked, but <laughs> this is what I'm told. So there's a video game company called Electronic Arts, which has ice hockey and soccer games in it, and they've now removed Russian teams from those electronic competitions. I'm not sure who that's exactly getting even with. The Canadian Junior Hockey League has banned Russians. Is it like? A gamers lobby group that goes and speaks to Putin and say, "Look, we've been we've been locked out of like X game or Y. Like, how does this? How is it expected that this is actually going to put pressure on the government? Could you imagine a bunch of gamers up against Putin? That'd be fantastic. I wouldn't think it? he'd probably the win on his own. Nerdiest, <laughs> nerdiest geeks. Oh, we'll just wave our noodle arms at you. <laughs> Uh, gas stations have been closed down. Russian-owned gas stations have been closed down in the UK. Ikea. I, Ikea is closed. Well, that's not Russia. Yeah, but they've closed it in Russia. No, 13 Ikea stores have closed in Russia. Oh, I see, I see, yeah. What are they going to do? Well, that'll save everyone a lot of time on the weekend stuffing around with Allen keys, so maybe it's not much of a punishment. Uh, vodka brands that even sound Russian are being thrown off the shelves in various nations. Uh, they've renamed poutine the Canadian national dish because it sounds too much like Putin. And the classic dish, Chicken Kiev, is under assault for utilising, and I quote, the Soviet-era anglicised spelling of the Ukrainian capital. So uh, you can't say Kiev, you've got to go the modern fashion and say Kiev, which sounds like a guitarist in the Rolling Stones. <laughs> well, look, um, we'll come back and consider these measures in a moment, uh, together with the freezing of Vladimir Putin's bank account and everything else they've done on the financial markets. We'll be back in a moment with Senator Jim Molan. Now joining us on the podcast is Senator Jim Molan, Major General Jim Molan in his former life, when he was commanding officer of the 6th Battalion, Royal Australian Regiment, commander of the 1st Brigade, commander of the 1st Division, uh, and was... uh, present at the multinational force headquarters in Iraq. So there's no one I know who's got greater experience of genuine military matters and genuine fighting. So, Jim, welcome to the podcast. We've got a lot to talk to you about, starting, I think, with Ukraine. How are you? I'm well, Nick. Thank you. And uh, looking forward to the chat. It, 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 it does seem to me uh, that this has not been the best planned or best executed military campaign by the uh, Russians. I mean, this long column of tanks, it looks a bit like a traffic jam. It's hardly blitzkrieg, is it? Uh, is something gone wrong or have I missed something? 
No, I think I think something has gone wrong. Uh, I, I think what we saw to begin with in this in the overall strategy was something that you might call intimidation, where where President Putin arranged 150,000 of his uh, available troops uh, uh, in, a, in an eye-pleasing manner around the borders of Ukraine to try and intimidate Ukraine to begin with. He then had to wait until the end of the uh, the uh, Russian uh, the Chinese Winter Olympics. Uh, but as soon as that was finished, he roared into a lightning strike uh, and that lightning strike really failed. It did not work at all. The lightning strike uh, was to try and decapitate the Ukraine government, but it didn't work at all. And uh, big aircraft were shot down, uh, each one carrying 100 plus people. Uh, helicopters were blown out of the air. The, the Ukraine air defence has worked very well. Uh, then following that, uh, what we started to see was the resistance of uh, Ukrainians, uh, both their military and their people in the street, but also the weapons that have been provided from overseas, uh, which are quite significant, uh, as well as the sanctions being, being applied to Russia around the world. Uh, but now I think we're seeing something markedly different. And this goes back to the way that Russia has traditionally fought uh, in, in, the, in the best tradition of what they did to cities in Syria and to what they did to cities in Chechnya. To, to, we've all probably seen the photos of what happened in Grozny, the appalling reduction of whole cities to, to rubble. Now, we're seeing that at the moment, and if we, and, 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 but we've, we've now been going for, for about eight days, and what the Russians have achieved is essentially around uh, Kharkiv, they've, they've achieved a siege within that city. Uh, going down to the south, they've certainly achieved a lot more. They've, they're, they're, they've cut off Mariupol uh, and uh, they've certainly cut off Odessa. And they claim that they've taken a city called Kherson, which is uh, on the border of one of the two big rivers that run down and enter into the Black Sea. But what they've also achieved is that they have denied uh, every uh, aspect of uh, a waterfront of, a, of ports and etc. on the Sea of Azov and also the Black Sea. And they're just about, I think, uh, where I keep getting reports, we all keep getting reports that there is a very large amphibious force about to, uh, about to uh, 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 land somewhere down there, probably in the vicinity of Odessa, I think the money would be on because they get around the big rivers and don't have to cross them later on. So, so Nick, I, I, it doesn't it, it doesn't look good from a distance. We compare it uh, to uh, the, the the brilliance of Zelensky and and his people, uh, but I think we are about to see what the Russians can really do by using brutal and appalling firepower. Senator Tim Blair here, mate. How are you? Good, Tim. Thank you. I'm very well. Good, good. I heard you speaking to Chris Kenny on Sky the other night, and uh, and you called for the assassination of Vladimir Putin. Now, I'm no expert in killing folk. I wouldn't mind him going though. But this would be obviously an immensely complex operation. Just the literal execution of Putin is complicated enough, but it would also be immensely complicated in terms of any aftermath from uh, such an operation, because. I'm assuming it would have to be an internal 
uprising, you know, within his own uh, within within his own circle. Because if you're bringing outside players in, that's looking a bit WW3, isn't it? Oh, it certainly is, and that was certainly my uh, my intention. Tim was to hope hmm. that as a way of 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 breaking uh, this appalling war was that. Either, either one of his generals moved against him, that there was a coup uh, 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 run by those people who are losing their yachts and their football football mm-hmm. clubs and, and, and other things like that. that, that the the uh, Russian people are backing him, I think, generally because they're not fully aware of what's going on and maybe they will become more aware of what's going on as time goes on because, I mean, Russia does leak. Uh, you can... Uh, it, it's an enormous, an enormous country uh, with a large population, and there are ways of getting information. And uh, as the body bags start to come home, and uh, uh, mm. the, the grandmothers and mothers, as they did during the Afghan War, uh, want their sons to come home, they're looking for their sons. They can have an impact on how the country goes. That was my intention, Tim. Not that we put in teams of special forces or something like that, but that his own population turns on him. Just in terms of information and the information war that is parallel to the what you might call the real war, Russia's performing very badly at this. I mean, it has been almost miraculous how Ukraine have well, they've they've all they've won on all fronts in the information war, which is a pretty good effort considering Ukraine itself is one of the more corrupt places on earth. I think it's rated in the top ten by some agencies in terms of corruption, but they are lily white online, but. Weren't we led to believe, Jim, that um, Russia had the art of internet disinformation down so well that they could influence U.S. elections? Now they can't even influence their own people. Yes, I, I, it's, this will be one of the most fascinating things if and when this war ever ends, uh, that we look back and figure out who did what to who. I've been uh, uh, on a committee which has been looking at foreign interference through social media, and invariably it's criminal gangs out of Russia or it's a state actor uh, within within uh, Russia uh, that quite often is working around the world to try and achieve this. But I, I, I think there is something here that's going on that's very, very important. And that something really is that, uh, that Ukraine, regardless of how corrupt it is, and I've heard it's the fourth most corrupt, so you're quite right, Tim. <laughs> Got it. It's gone up five places already just in the last 30 seconds. But in relation to this, it has the moral high ground. Hmm. And the, 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 if, if President Zelensky was whipping in people, these people across the back of the across their backs to make them fight, uh, then we wouldn't be getting this. But his people are showing their love of the country and their belief in Zelensky hmm. and his inspiration and leadership by getting out there on the streets. Now, on, uh, that, that's not going to deliver them victory in any way, shape, or form. The major results will that it will it will slow the advance of Russian units up, and it's certainly doing that. Uh, but it's, they are the Russians are changing over now, and they will blast these people out. Uh, so, so the the where I think the information war is very very important, and that is that most of the world supports unequivocally supports uh, 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 Ukraine. Yes, most of the world is condemning Russia, and Russia has got a real uphill battle to change that. I you know we, you, if you. If you made the the error of watching Q and A last night, and I did not, uh, but I read about it the next day, uh, there was a an individual 
He didn't make a, a strategic error and, t- and tune into Q&A. He didn't make a major... Absolutely. <laughs> uh, it, it, uh, it, there was an individual there who, who uh, uh, tried to force his views uh, about uh, how good Russia was and, and how bad the Ukraine was uh, in, in a way which others have forced their views out of the audience in the past in things like climate change and whatever. And they haven't been thrown out. But yesterday, uh, uh, this individual himself was 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 uh, uh, was was forced to stop uh, asking his questions and was was uh, uh, gotten rid of from the room. So I think that's that that's the hill that Russia has got to mount in the information war. It ain't doing too well. Well, just outside the information war for a second, Jim. Um, there, as a military historian yourself, as well as a military person. There have been conflicts in the past throughout history, famous uh, conflicts, where the underdog, you know, the outmanned, outgunned, uh, outresourced, combatant has triumphed over a superior force. Not very often, however, and I think that's what you're talking about when you say that this is going to be now a grinding process more than uh, you described before as a lightning strike that uh, in some circumstances might have have been effective, might have worked within 24 hours. But... um, on the sheer numbers, I mean, it's it's not it's not really a winnable winnable circumstance for Ukraine, surely. I, I think the smart money is still on Russia, and that's the sad thing about this. And uh, the, the, you know, it's, you don't have to go past Russia to see exactly what you're looking at, Tim. In World War Two, uh, the Russians fought and fought and fought and fought. They were over. They, they faced a military that was vastly superior to them. But over time, they ground that military down at the cost of what twenty million people killed. Now, uh, uh, th- th- this is this is a, 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 an extraordinary moral question. Uh, d- d- uh, when and, and I mean uh, George Washington uh, uh, in Valley Forge would have had to have come to the same conclusion. He he was obviously beaten by the British. He should have surrendered in Valley Forge. His troops were starving and freezing to death, but he managed through sheer leadership to carry them over. Of course, of course, the Hessians at that stage and the British didn't have the kind of heavy artillery or rockets and missiles that the Russians have now got that I think that they will bring to bear. And regardless of how good you are, you've picked up a, a, a rifle for the first time in your life uh, and you're somewhere in a city uh, hiding in a building to kill Russians, uh, the Russians will just blow the building to bits and you are irrelevant. Jim, um, there's a fatal flaw, an inbuilt flaw, it seems to me, with uh, autocracies, with countries where you have a strong man like Vladimir Putin when it comes to war, in that um, you know they want to get themselves in- intimately involved with the strategy and the fighting of that war. Uh, and yet, when they're in a room with generals and so forth, it's very hard for anybody else to say, um, Mr. Putin, um, maybe we tried another way, or that's not so good. Their will will prevail, and, and this can lead to catastrophic mistakes, can't it? I mean, you know, Hitler in World War II was, was very prone to that, uh, the overreach, the invasion of Russia. Yes. No, absolutely correct. Do you see that in Putin? Look outside. Can you see the evidence that somebody is is forcing the hand of the generals in a way they don't want to go? No, not yet. I don't see that yet. In fact, I would suspect, and I have no hard evidence for this. I would suspect 
that the generals produced a plan for Putin at some stage, which said, let's go for the let's, let's go for the lightning strike that decapitates the government. And once we've got the government, then we get a political solution and we install a puppet and the puppet says, lay down your arms. Uh, we want to become part of Russia. This is exactly what they did in uh, in, uh, in Georgia. So that would be that would be very good. Uh, it's uh, I, I think the generals I don't think. Uh, that Putin would have come up with this himself, but I think he would be kicking some backsides now, uh, saying, well, that didn't work. Get your troops in. That column of vehicles that is the most popular column of vehicles is probably only one armoured division. And he's probably got close to 100,000 of the 150,000 of his people into into uh, uh, Ukraine at the moment. And he has moved, and it's quite public, that he has moved... Uh, at least one armoured division from the Far East. That's another 20,000 people with all the kind of vehicles that you see. And he's locating them uh, up, up to the north of the Caucasus. Uh, so he, he's not going to run out of troops. Uh, he will just keep pushing them in. And it doesn't require much imagination to do this. Uh, but we, we saw Stalin intervene. But I guess I would say that, that one of the great interveners uh, who didn't get things right all the time was was Churchill. So so Churchill was autocratic, I guess, to a certain extent between the war because of his great credit uh, during the war because of his great credibility and 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 his personality, uh, and he made some appalling errors in doing it. But governments have got to do that. There can in in a period of war there can only be one person who makes the final and hard decisions either from democracy or from uh, 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 authoritarian governments. So I, I don't see that as a big problem. It's not a big problem as long as the guy keeps getting it right. <laughs> Senator Mole and Caroline DeRusso here. Look, we've been watching um, troops amass at the border for some months. Uh, then we saw the, the essentially this proclamation of these two independent regions. Um, and then Putin described it as a peacekeeping mission. How have we got from this supposed peacekeeping mission to this all-out warfare the whole way across the country? How and why are we here? Caroline, the, the, the answer to that is quite simple. Putin is a liar. He is an absolute and total liar. He lies to himself, as Macron said yesterday. Macron had a telephone call with him yesterday, and he said... He reported to the world that he said uh, to Putin that you are lying to yourself. But Putin also lies to his own people, and that comes out in our media. In, a, in, in, in declaring that this was a peacekeeping force, he, in a, he went in on the 21st of... He went into those two provinces on the 21st of February, uh, and the, the big war started on the 24th. All he was doing in going into those two big provinces was getting his tanks into that area, his heavy armoured vehicles into that area, and he was covering a bit of time period by saying that it's that, that they're a peacekeeping force. Uh, nothing that he says will be true. Today he'll he'll tell one lie, and the next day he will totally contradict himself and tell another lie. We only have to look at uh, was it MH17 that was shot down over the Ukraine, uh, uh, and and you know uh, that. No, it didn't. It didn't. It, it, there was no aeroplane shot down. If it was shot down, it was shot down by the rebels. OK, it, we might have shot it down, but it was shot down by someone who was sent. You know, the lies go on and on and on because they have no moral framework. 
Uh, and we've got to get used to it. We, we cannot afford to believe anything that comes out of uh, Putin at the moment. And we've got to assume as a planning basis the worst case. You know, uh, if, if we'd assumed, if the Russians had assumed, uh, sorry, if the, if the Ukrainians had assumed that he was only going into the, the Donbass provinces as a peacekeeping force, then they may not have mobilised. They didn't. They mobilised too late in the final thing. But uh, yeah, I, th I think does that explain it, Caroline? Perfectly fine. Perfectly fine because it looks like it just escalated <laughs> really quickly. Oh, but he was always ready to do that. I suspect that what he was doing in those three days. See, there was that it is claimed now out of U.S. intelligence, and we all should always be suspicious of anything that comes out. Mark from US intelligence or anyone else's intelligence. Good call. Uh, it, we should always be very suspicious of that. But what they're saying, and it's worth thinking about, is that uh, uh, Putin, uh, that Xi asked Putin uh, not to commence his war until the, the Olympics had finished. And the Olympics finished on February the 20th. Uh, he went into those two provinces on the 21st, and the big war started on the 24th. So I think he was just moving his troops around. He had no intention of keeping a piece of anything. The only piece he's keeping is a great big piece of the Ukraine. I, I, I guess that Jake's been flogged to death, but I thought, <laughs> thought I'd give it a run. It's good. Where was NATO in all this, Jim? Where was the United States? I mean, don't you think, I, we, you know, a couple of battleships off the steps of Odessa or, you know, Exercises in Eastern Poland, joint exercises by large numbers of NATO and US forces, uh, maybe with a few Australians thrown in. Wouldn't, wouldn't that? Shouldn't we have done that? I mean, we, we, we just—it was like there was no show of military strength whatsoever. Instead, just this rolling um, set of sanctions, which you know, some of which might be effective, but I, I would have thought a bit of gunboat diplomacy might have pulled the trick. What do you think? Well, what NATO has done is is pretty well uh, uh, the maximum that NATO can do. Uh, the Americans have mobilised, from my count, about 15,000 troops. Uh, 7,000 of them came across from the US into Poland and into one of the Baltics. Uh, and the remainder came from within Europe and just moved onto the border. The Brits have done exactly the same things. Uh, all of those extraordinary countries that 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 uh, front, uh, if I look at my list here, all of those countries from Moldova, Romania, Hungary, Slovakia and Poland have all mobilised their own forces and put them on the border as as uh, NATO countries. Uh, uh, it, it, so, so and also Germany has done a 180 degree about face and uh, uh, has now has now realised the idiocy of its previous positions that the whole world consisted of good and proper people and if you have a conflict, all you can do is talk. Uh, uh, they have now said they will go in a different direction. They've given aid, they've given lethal aid to, uh, to Ukraine and they uh, have said they will increase their and totally change their defence policy. So, I th and, and you, but, but, the problem with NATO is that there's only really two countries, I'd suggest, that, are, that, that, that take their, their, their military seriously within NATO, and that's the UK and the US. And both of those, I know that the UK has, uh, has 
put, has put a, 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 about a 3,000-person force in up to the border, right on the border, and they just put in, put in another 3,000-person force. Uh, so, so I think that... And, and NATO has a what they call a ready reaction force, which is about 40,000 strong, which they're kind of cobbling together. People uh, contribute to it. They say they'll contribute to it, but it always takes a bit of time to pull it together under, under an American core headquarters. So the Americans have sent a core headquarters, and the core headquarters can be a 1,000 strong with all the communications that it needs, and you just plug into this. So, Nick, I think they're doing an awful lot but if they tried to establish a no-fly zone or if they came across the border and did anything, I, I, I am of the opinion that there would be World War Three, and that's not going to help Ukraine. Uh, I, I, I don't think, you know, if, uh, if World War Three starts and there's fighting everywhere, then we really haven't achieved anything. NATO is not strong enough uh, and they're not willing enough at the moment to take on the Russian army in Ukraine. It's coming to something, isn't it? When the Germans rearm, and we we think it's a good thing, you know. I mean, but they, they they're moving to two percent now spending of GDP, which is what we aim for. We've gone beyond that, I think now, Jim. Right, two point three, two point four percent. Correct. But is that enough in this era when, of course, you know, there's there's the the overwhelming shadow of China in our region and. <clears throat> No, because because this is the two percent is fascinating. The two percent started uh, when uh, America, who dominated the world, tried to get NATO to make for every NATO country, uh, and now I think there's thirty of them. Every NATO country to pay to to, to pay two percent of their GDP for their put into their military. Uh, uh, because they were all they were all riding on the back of America, uh, and the, the Ukraine, the US, uh, and Turkey were about the only, and, and some of the very small countries uh, uh, were about the only countries that were in fact uh, making getting the two percent. Now the question I've got: see, see, to, 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 if you measure your military by saying we're putting two percent, therefore we've met the aim, two percent is an input <clears throat> into defence. It's not an output. The output of defence is to win wars. Correct. So if we say in Australia, yeah, we're, we're meeting it, we've got 2.3% of our GDP into, in, into defence, the question is, what do we get out of it? And Nick, what I reckon we get out of it is that we get a one-shot defence force, and I love the Australian Defence Force, I've spent 40 years in it, it's my life. But we get a one-shot defence force, which is not lethal enough, it's not sustainable enough, and it's not big enough. That's what you get for 2.3. So if we if, if we start from saying, oh, we've met the aim, 2.3% is the aim. If we've met the aim, we're going all about this all backwards. We should say, Ooh. what is the threat? Mm. What is the threat? And then you work back from there. Now. If, if, you, if, if the threat is, is, is a war between China and the United States, uh, and I, 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 I've got a book accepted by HarperCollins on exactly this subject that I've been talking to Nick about in the past. Marvellous. It's exactly this subject. I, I have the view that we in Australia, uh, and I've got to say at this stage of any time I say this, that, 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 that no one 
has 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 supported national security or the defence force more than the three prime ministers we've had since 2013 and the coalition government. No one has done as well. And if we if for some reason this country decides to put in the Labor Party uh, led by you know compromised by the Greens, then we're going to go backwards. But what what I would say is that we've got to start with what war are we trying to match? What war are we trying to meet? And then you work back from there. And if you if you can't, if you're not prepared to put the money in, well, that's okay. You set the priorities. But we seem to have said, well, we, we're going to spend 2%. 2% might be too much. It might be exactly right. It might be too, it might be too little. Uh, because we have not done the analysis which starts with the war. The Americans do. <clears throat> the Americans express themselves in a defence output, <clears throat> excuse me, not a defence input. That, and, and up until the end of the Cold War in 91, the Americans would say, <clears throat> uh, we have a military uh, uh, at the cost of about 750 billion of today's dollars, 750 billion of today's dollars it costs them. Uh, uh, we have a military which can win Two big wars, one in Europe, perhaps, one in the Middle East, perhaps, and a little war, maybe one in South America. New Zealand. Sorry? New Zealand. A really, really little war. <laughs> Send a couple of canoes. <laughs> Possibly. Well, that's what the Greens want to do. They want to take us back there. But since 1991, the Americans have now come back and they now express what their military can do in terms of our military, and they say this in their national security strategy, of which we don't have one, uh, they say in their national security strategy, our military should be able to mobilise for one major war, it's assumed against China, and to hold in a minor war. Now, that is a 30 to 50% reduction in US military power over that period. And no one in Australia even cares about that. Well, Jim, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for your service for your country and uh, thank you for your service in the Senate where you continually inject a degree of common sense there. Uh, we'll be uh, delighted to have you back again soon, I think. I've got a feeling this Ukraine conflict is going to go on for a while and the aftermath will be much to talk about. Jim, thank you for joining us on the 6 o'clock swirl. Thanks very much, Nick. Tim and Caroline, lovely to talk to you all. Thank you. Good on you, mate. Good on Bye -bye. you, Jim. Thank you, mate. Nolan there, and it's terrific to have access to someone who can explain what to outsiders looks like an absolutely incomprehensible and reason-free conflict that has no easy path forward. But enough about the New South Wales Liberals. We also spoke a bit there about Ukraine, <laughs> I think. And uh, news just to hand, um, some sort of Italian um, literature board has lifted its ban on Dostoevsky, uh, which was Im imposed as part of the... Uh, <laughs> The series, it's a bit they, much. They, they, they banned. They obviously didn't read the books, did they? No. Well, the titles give you a bit of a clue, don't they? Well, that's that's good news. Tchaikovsky, are we allowed to play him these days, Rachmaninoff? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Don't even go there, man. Don't even try. You'll be you'll be branded a traitor. <laughs> all, all all this chucking out of Russian vodka. There was a, a 
way before your time, Carolyn, but uh, during an era we called the 90s. <laughs> at, at, at one stage, the French ran some nuclear tests in the Pacific. Yes, and, uh, I remember. And I was, I was living in the eastern suburbs at the time and uh, our little corner bottle shop protested against the French by selling at, uh, at market cost, no, no, no profit margin. All of their French champagne. Which was everything in the shop, wasn't it? <laughs> it was the best, best two weeks of my life and I can't remember a single hour of it. COVID is finally over. The road tour has finally reached WA. COVID has entered WA. People are catching COVID in WA. Not, ter- not terribly seriously, most of them, but it's there. So look, it's over. Let's declare. The Six Flots will now officially declares it over. Done. We're going to go free face from now on. <laughs> we are not going to fill our bodies till they're 90% body weight in Pfizer. we finished, right? Is that right? Do I, have, I, have I jumped the gun here? Well, well Caroline, Caroline predicted all of this. Caroline predicted all of this with one of the more memorable phrases on this podcast when she <laughs> said that once COVID does get into does get into Perth, it's going to go through the joint like a 2am kebab, which is <laughs> probably a more graphic image than anything we're seeing out of Kiev, frankly. But you asked me back, so it can't have been that bad. <laughs> oh, that was great. It ha- and it, it, <laughs> look, look, it has. And and we saw that happen on the East Coast. The cases rise really quickly. Yesterday we had 2,500 cases. Today mm-hmm. we got 2,100 and something. 20-odd people in hospital. No one in ICU. One person has passed away, which is, you know, it's terrible, but but people get sick and, and people die. And we don't know whether it's mm-hmm. the with or the of yet. So we'll, we'll find that out, I suppose, in due course. Um, but 98% of the population has had their first dose. And I think we're about 60-odd percent have had their booster. Uh, but the thing that is really just incomprehensible at the moment is all the restrictions that have been brought back in. So you can't have visitors if you're in hospital. And there was a big story yesterday in Western Australia, mother of five who's got terminal cancer, she's in hospital and they've told mm. her she can't see her children. That is disgusting. It's, it's, it's obscene. We're 98% vaccinated. If you can't work out a way for that to happen, then the government's the problem, not everyone else. Um, we've seen square metre rules brought back in for venues with a cap to 150, I think, or 200. And we had the owner of the camp field on 6PR um, this week. And he's like, well, the camp field can have 2,000 odd people. So we've effectively got a 23 square metre rule. So I can't believe that we're we're still we're still playing this game. We still have this the Kabuki theatre going on in Western Australia, um, and and there is twenty people in hospital. Well, we're not people. playing it anymore. This is like if I feel it's no. A, well, it's, I haven't been playing for some time because, quite frankly, I'm done. I didn't write this script. I'm not going to read it. I am. I am just over it. And as you say, all these busybody, uh, ineffective pathetic rules in place all over the place we, 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 we're done we're finished yeah over Carolyn and Nick have either of you been in a circumstance where you've been prevented from entering a venue because they've got like a, a head count and uh, no 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 you've got to wait outside has that occurred in your in your in your life because no, no, I'm not that social <laughs> <laughs> no. well, Nick, you sometimes go outside. I, I do. Sometimes. I get I, my mail from the letterbox. I, I, I can't say I've ever yet been 
refused entry on the grounds of overcrowding, but maybe I go to the the less crowded places. I've been, I've been stopped exactly twice. Really? Yeah, right. Uh, once on a cent- at a Central Coast butcher shop, where I'd gone on a, I'd become obsessed with with uh, cooking a rabbit, and uh, not many places carry rabbit these days. And I found a joint. It was about forty minutes from where I live. Don't you have a nonna up the road or something? No, but no, no. People don't carry rabbits in shops because they're just too costly. Okay. They're they're massively expensive because you've got to inoculate them against the various things that cost like ten bucks a unit just to. I mean, you'd think that rabbit breeding would be a simple process, but it's it's become very complicated. Anyway, I found a joint that sells rabbits and uh, walked in. It was great. They had rabbits, and I was buying a few other things. It's a beautiful butcher shop, and uh, and they said, oh, we've also got some uh, more stuff in the, you know, there was a, a freezer room or something behind us. And I went to walk in, and the guy stopped me, the guy behind the counter. No, 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 no. there's there's three people in there already. Oh, hmm. So I had to wait until one of them, you know, emerged, probably carrying my rabbits. Uh, another time in um, Broken Hill, just did a takeaway chicken joint. Not the greatest shop I've ever been in. And uh, anyway, I just was hungry, thought I'd get a Chico roll, I think. Classy. And uh, I walked in, and the, 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 the place froze. Broken Hill's bizarrely paranoid about... COVID and the place just just fell silent and glared at me and I'm like what the hell and uh and the guy says mate didn't you see the sign and I, I learned what sign go outside and there was a sign saying maximum four at any one time so they you know they obviously measure their their floor space work out what that means in terms of people coming in no one's actually doing the distancing once they're inside no which seems pointless. So you, once you're inside, you can be as close as you want or as far away as you want from anyone else. The, the, the square metre rule doesn't apply except in general terms, which doesn't seem to be medically very advanced. No, it doesn't. I, I will tell you, though, that in WA, the, the Sky Studio is in the 7 West building. So 7 West bought in this rule that you can only go onto the premises if you're an employee of Sky or of 7 West. And I'm... I'm not, mm-hmm. not an employee. So I'm triple vaccinated, but because I walk through the front door as a guest, I'm a health hazard. But if I was double vaccinated and walk through the back door as an employee, totally fine. Well, there's no rhyme or reason. <laughs> is it? I mean, that's, that's the Help point. Help me. I got temperature tested. I got temperature tested at a Japanese restaurant. The temperature test was where they sort of point that yeah. gun-like, mm-hmm. you know, sort of thing at your head. Which worries me a bit when they do that. Well, when you've got a Japanese person exactly. pointing a gun at an Australian head, I don't know, there's some sort of primal response there. That, that it was a particularly comfortable feeling. But uh, that's only happened once in all of this. So, you know, it's just all ad hoc. It's always been just making up as you go along. Mm. Look, it's been raining this week at an awful lot. Rainfall records are tumbling on the East Coast. Of Australia, that wasn't meant to happen, Nick. What's the story? <laughs> I recorded that. We recorded a podcast episode in January when I was in a, a motel in Lismore. That motel is underwater. The whole place is. Um, we've had, a, I think, a record thirteen days of more than twenty centimetre millimetres of rain. It's just tipping down. But remember the, those heady days of two thousand and nine when Tim Flannery was predicting there would be no rain. He went on the seven thirty report. He said. Weather patterns as the as the planet warms up are changing, so the tropics are expanding southwards. Winter rainfall zone is sort of dropping off the edge of the continent, and on and on he goes. 
The third and really most worrying thing is this semi-permanent El Nino-like condition that's occurring in the Pacific as the Pacific Ocean warms up. We're seeing much longer El Ninos than before, so no rain. But we're, 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 of course, it's uh, we've seen a bit of permanent La Nina effect right now. You got it so badly wrong. You'd have to be like a Fremantle Dockers supporter, right? <laughs> Where you, you support and you're passionate. You, 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 you hang blow. on and you hang on and hang on, even though they're just perennial losers. And that's kind of reminds me about Tim Fannery Flames. I used to go to Collingwood Essendon games with an Essendon supporter and, uh, and, and Collingwood might win, say, by 10 goals. You know, there was the occasional wipeout. And uh, we'd sit down and have a drink after the game, and he'd, he'd, he was very obsessive, and he'd go through each matchup, player against player, in the line by line from the defence. And in each individual matchup, the Essendon player prevailed, according to my friend's estimation. Mm-hmm. Over and over again, until you've gone through all players on the field, and each one of them, I'm like, you lost by 10 goals, mate. You'd be like, yeah, just uh, didn't have a lot of luck. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the run of the green didn't go our way, mate. But uh, with uh, with Flannery and his fans, they always point to his uh, you know scabby little caveats that he used to attach to his alarmist things. He would say that even the rain that falls isn't going to um, replenish the soil, isn't going to fill the dams. And then a few paragraphs later, he'd say something like, "If trends continue, it, it, it's it's like those little." Um, notes you have on the ends of ads, you know, for financial little asterisks, advice, you know. Little asterisks. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Will not happen. Yeah, yeah. Past performance is not an indicator of future performance. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it's all in the tiniest point you've ever imagined, you know, yeah, you get yeah. the micro- magnifying glass out to check it out. So, but he's got this great, you know, reams of quotes you can find. Andrew Boltz mm. has, uh, has done Australia a great service by collecting them over the years. And uh, each one of them's got that little little um, uh, little asterisk next to it. It's a, it's very entertaining to um to uh, run through them. Fabulous. Now before we go, I've got an apology to make. Rosalind, a listener in Melbourne, has been in touch. Rather irate at that. I think it's you that did this from memory, Tim. But I have to go back and look at the tape. Remember we were talking about which artists we would like to see banned from Spotify. In fact, we were going to demand that they were banned from Spotify. Otherwise, we'd remove the six Ooh. o'clock swill. Good to see you uh, dealing with the big issues. Yes, and um, <laughs> <laughs> we wanted them to cancel these artists. Mm. Uh, one of them was Peter, Paul, and Mary, and um, Rosalind was irate. I stand by that. <laughs> Careful. I stand by that. I want them. I want them off. Or it's it's them or me, frankly. I, I mean, are any of them still alive? Shouldn't we just cancel the dead? The Grateful Dead. That might that might get rid of a few. You know, crummy acts. There's a lot of them on that list. But um, apologies to Rosalind. I didn't mean to offend your your favourite uh, f- folk trio. Uh, so we'll aim instead to offend uh, someone else. Okay. We'll just we'll switch it. Switch it. Now, by the way, I've got some helpful news. I found out this week. Uh, if anyone's worried about nuclear fallout in the wake of uh, various incidents in the Ukraine, various events. I found out a helpful guide on how you should behave, what you should, what action you should take, if you believe that uh, some radioactive fallout has uh, has fallen upon you. First of all, remove your outer clothing because 
it's probably got some fallout on it, but do it in a careful and slow manner so you don't want to shake any of that radioactive particulate matter upon yourself or into the... Somewhere where the neighbours can't see you, preferably. <laughs> yeah, or in the neighbour's house. I don't know. You just remove outer clothing carefully and slowly, put it in a plastic bag, seal it, get rid of it. Then jump in a shower, soap, shampoo, but importantly, don't use conditioner. Is that right? Because radioactive fallout, microscopic radioactive fallout, adheres to conditioned hair. So that's bad news for Carolyn, who's already suffering massively from um, Sydney's humidity causing severe frizz incident. Yeah, I've not had hair like this since Hong Kong. <laughs> Do you think that maybe... It's not an endorsement, is it? I've not had hair like this since Hong Kong. You may be onto something, Tim. 80s hairdos were notoriously big and frizzy. Could that be anything to do with fallout from Chernobyl, I wonder? Well, Chernobyl was 86, right? Mm. It's spooky, isn't it? And then we had the rise of Bon Jovi. Mm. Oh, fabulous hair. The best hair of the 80s. (laughs) The great thing about the mullet, of course, Carolyn, is... um, as previous, uh, previously been pointed out, is that it's a unisex hairstyle. You know, women have been getting away with mullets for years after the mullet went out of fashion because it, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very you know, um, optimal cut. It's a moulet. Well, on, a, on a woman, it's a moulet, is that, not a mullet. Is that optimal oh, with another one of those little asterisk thingies? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Who yeah, I, I, I don't for. pretend to any great hairstyle expertise, obviously, Carolyn, so I'll defer to you on that one. But uh, yeah, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe maybe all those '80s hair bands were a consequence of uh, the first nuclear incident in the Ukraine, yeah, it was and maybe like some yeah some nuclear prevention method for the remainder of the '80s. <laughs> now we've got to look forward to it happening yeah. all over again. Well, look, maybe I'm just ahead of the curve. Maybe I'm trend setting. Look, I think we've gone a long way down the list of first world pointless discussions. So we might <laughs> not hard for us to do though. Let's face it. It's our job. Caroline, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to see you here in in uh, free Australia. Absolutely. And we'll do this all again next week. We'll have another podcast. Stay safe and stay out of the uh, stay out of the nuclear fallout. <laughs> see you, gents. Every American and LBJ is with Australia all the way. Australia is the best place in the world to bring up a family. But we will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come. Australia is an exciting new land. A country in a hurry to make a splash in the modern world. How good is Australia? (laughs) 